So hello and welcome to the uh, today's episode of 79th Live. Hi Nat and hello Dave. How are you hello. both doing this morning? Very well, thank you. Very well, tired, but as always tired, so but good though, positive. That's because you're a busy man and because you've recently returned, you both, in fact all three of us, have recently returned from a very productive trip to Guinea. Um Mm-hmm. So I'd just like to start off by asking you, Dave, what was your reason for going out to Guinea on this recent trip? Um, that was for specifically um, to oversee and view a huge drilling campaign designed by Nat. Um, and it's been a long overdue. And when we got out there, it was it was inspiring to see it inspired me actually um which i thought was great um but it was a big campaign i think there was neck end of 50 50 staff on the ground for three months um cost us a fortune but it was a natural progression going forward because we knew that was what we had to do to qualify us um so but it was it was needed to um verify everything we thought and now it's verified and it's great yeah now, this was your first time to the developing world um, from a, um, in a working context. What was it like when you first landed in Conakry and drove through those streets? What were you thinking? Um, I think it was nothing that I expected. In one sense, I had a vision in my head of what I thought it would be, but I think it was a lot more challenging. I think you could quite clearly see the needs that are, that are there right now whether that be infrastructure whether that be culturally culturally or employment and I think it was great to actually get out to, to Guinea and actually meet the team and see them firsthand and see what they actually do but it was a really big eye-opener for me personally I've worked on this project for two and a half years at a distance um never been to country never met any of the staff that I've hired you know across a two-year period so I think for me if I sit back and reflect on what it was first like, a really big eye-opener. And it was great to see at one point, though, all of the work that we've been doing so far in terms of the community initiatives, the drilling campaign, it does actually marry up and match what that country needs and, and what you know we've set out to do originally. So we we, we flew up from Conakry to Siguri in a, in a, a small light aircraft Dave, you must have taken quite a few flights in these small aircraft. Mm. What, what are you thinking when you step onto those planes? Um, you hope I'm thinking. I hope I get off the other end. And, and you know, I don't want to joke about that, but I generally do think that because they're not the latest. <laughs> they're not the latest planes. Put it that way. I'll be kind. So you hope to service well, and you know it's a risk. Uh, but I think we've found that the the guys that we're using out there now, and I've noticed that has even progressed from when I first started doing that three years ago. Even now, those little airlines are run a lot better. The pilots are a lot better. You know, they speak great English. Originally, back in the day, the pilots didn't even speak English. That was a risk. We don't like risk. Um, but now, you know, if you look at the way that airlines run, and because Guinea's now becoming regulated in every space, mm-hmm. I've actually got great confidence in them now, to be fair. But normally, when you sit on these planes and you're, you're thinking, is that rust? Or, you know, it, it makes you worry, right? Because um, you hope you get off at the other end. Um, but what I've learned very quickly in life is, well, generally older things are better quality anyway, because um, it's only in this modern world now, this catastrophe that is the modern world, 
where people are cutting back, cutting corners. So for me, getting on an older plane 15, 20 years actually gave me a bit more confidence. When I really sat there, I thought, you know what? I'm safer on this now than a new plane because it's weird how the world works, isn't it, sometimes? You know what was really interesting? That that's like a good contrast compared to when, when we land in Guinea and we mm-hmm. see, you know, the levels of poverty and, and things needed there. But then yeah. going through the airport, you could have been going through an airport really anywhere. It was, it was modern, the processes yeah. were in place and it yeah. was such a stark contrast even to, you know, the plane. Yes, it was an older vehicle, but the procedure for getting mm. us on and off the plane, you know, you were told off at one point for wandering off into an area you shouldn't have. Mm. You know, it was it's such a contrast in yeah. in you are right i mean because we travel a lot into different places could have been like malaga could have been anywhere couldn't it it was ran really well but even adrian you were there three years ago three and a half years or three uh, three years plus with us it was not like what we saw on this last trip was it let's be honest yeah well i mean three years ago i I mean this was this is my second trip to guinea in, in as much months and actually the previous trip um was through the old airport and it's it's only been because they're they're rebuilding the old uh, domestic airport mm. so that was the very first of the yeah. change of the way that you have to travel in nationally within the country through yeah. the new airport so so we so we we flew up there and um we got into the um checked into the the Juma hotel um which I, I've spent many a night at which is a bit of a Suguri classic. Uh, Nat, what were your thoughts when we got to that hotel? Well, prior to getting there, I was immensely scared based on Dave's horror stories. <laughs> Upon arrival, equally as scared. Um, I think, you know, it, it's one of those, isn't it? You're there to do a job and, you know, we're not in any capacity. Um, we don't have expectation. We know we're there to do a job and we just settle into whatever's put in front of us. Um, personally, I didn't think it was that bad. I thought, you know, it was a, you know, it was a well-run hotel for starters in terms of everyone was always there. The employees were there, really great and engaging. Compa- if you needed compared anything, compared to two years ago, well, it, it changed a lot. This, but you know, I'd- yeah, it had changed a hell of a lot now. To be fair, well, it well it it, it it actually changed since a few weeks before because they completely painted the place. Yeah. Oh, and the new the new uh, driveway was getting laid yeah. as well, yeah, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, it was it was like a t- different hotel. Yeah, um, and I think there's even going to be some water in the swimming pool. I mean, I remember. Next time, <laughs> yeah, my, I, I, you're putting all the plumbing in, so the, the pool's going to be open, which is great. But I remember my first visit to that hotel, and I thought it was really advanced compared to what I'd experienced three years prior, which was awful. I mean, absolutely awful. So. The reason we were up there um, was to witness the drilling campaign, um, which has been a number of years to mm-hmm. get to this point The in terms of the exploration of the concession. Mm-hmm. Now, just tell me a little bit about where 79th have got to in terms of its exploration for gold and you know, why was this drilling campaign happening now? I think if you look, for, I can take it from a personal view. When I joined the company three years ago, um, we were acquiring the licenses and we, we embarked on our exploration at that point and development of those sites through soil sampling. Dave had done many trips out there with SRK to go and verify the land himself from his own aspect. And over the last two years, we've significantly developed those sites. And I think the contrast is always that even I recall this meeting in um, our old boardroom where we were told it's a five to 10 year journey. 
And whilst in some capacity, yes, it is. But I think the innovation that we have and the aggressive strategy that we have at 79th has pushed this forward. And it has been my sole focus for the last two years, guided by Dave, to, to get this program up and running. And through the sampling results and the really positive kicks, we got across all of the concessions, the historical data, the anomalies, the trends that were there. We were able to really quickly identify um, hotspots, if you want to call them that. Um, and then it was myself, our board advisors, SRKO designed the drill campaign, which took about three months to actually design because there's a lot of data to interpret. But it is effectively a, a puzzle and you can you can almost start to see all of the bits of information coming together, pointing to where you need to go. And that's exactly what we did. So mobilizing the campaign took around six months. I had to recruit a full in-country team. We had some people already there with some skill sets, but as Dave said, we employed around 50 people for three months. Some of them in permanent contracts, some of them from the local communities. We had to do um, all the relevant health and safety training. They had to be trained in what they were actually doing. They had to be inducted into the business. There was so much work that went into that for around six months to then start the drill campaign, which then went on for a further three months. And that's seven days a week, 12-hour shifts. We run two shifts parallel with a day shift, a night shift, you know, and it, the three months is when the drills stop. This campaign still continues for a further four to five weeks to get all of the core logging and sampling actually sent across to the labs as well. So absolutely incredible to think of what we've been able to do in the time that we have just through sheer dedication from Dave, his sons and myself. Dave, talk to me a little bit about what kind of drilling was taking place because we had something called AC air core dr drilling and there's also diamond drilling. Can you just tell me what the difference is of those two drill machines? Um, I actually can't um, because I don't get involved in the technical side of, it, of our business. My job is to identify the land with the minerals in it to make sure that we go into profit. And so everybody gets their share. When it comes down to the technical side, I know the basic differences. Um, the diamond drilling, from what I know now, correct me if I'm wrong, okay. by the way, but it's not all about me. I mean, so I don't, I leave this to Natalie. Certain aspects of it are left to Jake and Curtis. So we are a team here. From, from what I've heard, the diamond drill goes a lot dearer, uh, uh, a lot deeper. Um, it gives you a different type of result. It's a more... So um, it'll give you, it'll go through the hard rock and, that, and that's the bit that, yeah, you it, know, Air core is predominantly it's a more definite. Does so that diamond will give you more of a definite reading as well? More of a, from what I've heard or from talking to the yeah, guys. Yeah, so it'll it'll give you segments of of um, the Jura crust and go through yeah. that into a mineralized zone <laughs> that air core simply can't. It doesn't have the capacity to break think, through the rocks. I think you've touched on a, a, a an important subject there, Adrian, because everyone thinks this business is built on the back of me and my experience and all that. Well, it started that way, but it's not anymore. I couldn't have done what we've just done without Natalie. She couldn't have done what we've just done without Jake and Curtis, who raise all the funds globally, who, you know, and they do it bloody well. None of us could have done what we do, what we could have done with, without our team on the ground. And you know them all personally. Who They've taken you into like almost like their family as well because you're with us that much there. You're treated like one of us. I think that the point is here, it's a big team. And we are a big team. It's not all about Dave Webster anymore. My job is to buy low and sell high. That's all I do and spot the opportunity. Then, fortunately, now we've got Natalie as a great CEO. We've got Jake as a brilliant MD. They sit together now and we think tank everything, okay? Because it doesn't mean I'm right. But, but I, what I am right about is when I see an opportunity. But it doesn't mean that we should pursue it. 
Okay, not everything goes my way. I'm not. I'm not a dictator in here. I think I'd like to be, but I they're not. Try to be. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not letting me get away with that one. But the point is here. We're talking about millions and millions of pounds, and we're doing better than ever. So we've got to be very careful on what we do with our money, because a lot of it is in is investor money. A lot of it's our own money, you know. And people, I've made promises to people around the world, and you know, people like Natalie works 15, 16 hours a day. You know, you. Well, one of the few people outside this company who works as hard as us. So credit to you and you deserve to do well, you know, but not many people are like us, but it ain't all about me. But one thing I do do better than anyone else is I manage to buy cheaper than most. And that is the one thing I am very good at because I just, I, I just read people well, Adrian. Um, I can sit in front of anyone and he can tell me whatever he likes, but his eyes give it away, you know, and I just seem to be good at reading the situation. Um, and then I know what to do with the guy, you know, and or what to do with the opportunity. But I think I know the basics of any business. I don't need to be a genius. And, you know, it's an old adage and it's been used before, but I now pay the best to tell me what to do. Okay, because we can afford it like yourself, like Nat. You know, you guys don't come cheap because you're brilliant at what you do. That's life. You know, but I think most big companies are the same. I don't want to get into the difference between air core, diamond drill. I couldn't care less. All I need to know is how many grams per ton we've got. Because my family, our company, and our investors need to know that. That's all I'm interested in. Well, that, that brings me nicely on to the, the next question, which I'm going to ask in that which is you know, from the sort of preliminary results that have come out from the testing, you know, how's it looking? Um, outstanding, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, much better, higher than we ever anticipated. Um, if this is the first lot of sampling that we get back, and this is at probably its weakest form as well. So this was actually, we've had some air core results. Um, and to Dave's point before, the air core will always give us really good indicators and strong indicators. But what the diamonds will do is actually potentially lead us down the route to identifying the size of deposits and, you know, the actual mapping of how you can extract them. So that's the difference between the two um, drilling campaigns that we've ran but a lot better than we ever anticipated. Um, and at its weakest form, we can only be more positive as more results come in. That sounds really exciting. I mean, how, how must you be feeling? Relieved, if I'm totally honest. Um, no, I think we always knew the indicators were there and we were always very confident in what we were doing. But, you know, there's always, until you see it and touch it, we're very much, and I think that's why we're always on hand in country and going to places. And we, we always like to physically see everything. And I think part of our trip was probably to acknowledge that and actually see it all happening firsthand. Um, it's absolutely amazing to think what the company's achieved in, in, the, in the last two years. It is actually, if you look at it, I wish people could actually see how we started this element of the business and where it is now because everybody walks into this business and thinks, oh, it's been, it looks like it's been running for 10, 20 years. You know, we've got really good processes in place and, and all the campaigns are so advanced. Yeah. But no one, to Dave's point, no one's really seen the struggles that we've gone through to get to this point. And it is 15, 16 hours a day. It is um, talking to geologists, hiring board advisors, having really detailed conversations around drilling campaigns. And my background isn't, you know, I'm not a geologist, but I do support business strategy. And so as Dave says, he wants to know, or what his ambition is that he wants, you know, so many grams per ton. That's fine. I can map that into a program to achieve that for the company. Well, 
you know, kudos to both of you for the huge amount of work and, you know, having the, you know, aptitude and the foresight to see what's possible, you know, particularly you, Dave, you know, because this has been an 11 year journey, you know, and to bring it to this point is really, you know, really something. And, um, mm. yeah, being very excited to see how that continues. I mean, on that subject of sort of pulling gold out of the ground, Dave, you know, I wanted to ask you a question. What is gold? For you, what does it mean to you personally? I think I, I struggle. I really, <laughs> I mean, I struggle to answer that because we've put so much into it. So it depends on what context you mean it. I mean, I can go into the technical side of gold, which I'm very okay with. I make sure I know a business inside out before I go into it. But I give my view of it, my version of it. I listen to all the the intelligent people around me, and then I'll come up with a working-class model. And we are a working-class company. There's no doubt about it, even though we're listing the company on stock exchanges and all the rest of it. It'll never change in here. We say how it is, and we and we work harder. That's why we're better. But the point, the question you raise is gold is, at the moment, gold is everything to me, okay, because it's everything to the rest of the world. So we focused on gold and some other minerals to a lesser extent at the moment, but we are expanding into them as well. But gold for me makes sense because I was dragged upon the streets to answer the question. Gold is everything to us right now because of the demand being so high and supply being so low because of the world, the world needs it more than ever, more than ever. I mean, um, and I think I've positioned myself and I still struggle with what it means to me. So, I think the the one thing I would say it is my life at the minute. That's what it is. Gold is our lives at the moment because we're very good at real estate and all that. Been doing that for thirty years. It bores me a little bit. Real estate. It's too easy. I don't want to be a big real estate developer again anymore. Leave that to all the other guys. That is just an easy life, easy lazy life almost, and I can't do that. I've got to be got to be moving, got to be active, got to be excited. But gold gives me all that. It gives me that excitement. It gives me that variable. It gives me that unknown as well. But I'm a zero risk man. But you can't really get to zero, but you can get close to it if you try harder. And that's what we do. Yeah, I mean, on that subject of risk, you know, what what are the risks of an operation like this? Because, you know, you talk about being a zero risk guy, but, you know, you're running a big, major international operation looking for gold you know, that is not easy and there is risk associated with it. Nat, talk to me a little bit about what those risks are. I think the thing with risk, there's risk in everything. Everything has a risk. Doesn't always mean that risk is negative. You can have, you know, opportunistic, positive risk emerge. I think the thing that we're particularly good at is assessing our risk appetite and it's what's within the company's appetite. So, you know, a good example might be, you know, we find another license or another piece of land. Mm. Risk in that is that we don't thoroughly complete our due diligence and satisfy ourselves that, you know, it is worthy of a campaign. So for to bring it to our current assets, that due diligence process and risk assessment of those assets, it's Dave's point all over again. What's the worst case scenario? What can be the worst outcome? And so long as we're comfortable that the worst outcome is something that we can, one, financially absorb, commercially absorb, all of that, then that's how we, we basis our decision. But equally, we utilize, you know, the best companies in the world to, to ensure that it's not just our view. And it is very much a group discussion session. If you look at the risk of the operation, 
it would seem almost endless, but risk is about assessing what is the likelihood of that gonna gonna be to occur. And if it did, what would the impact be? And you you then combine the two parameters and get a residual risk rating. And and that's what we do. So higher risk might be machinery breaking down, which we saw so frequently. But in reality, did it impact us? No, not really, because we have redundancy options. We can extend the program. So you have every risk that you have. We have a risk mitigation and protocol in place. Outside of that, that's the only way you can ever manage risk. And I've worked for some really large corporate companies in investment space. And that is the, it applies in every business exactly the same. So I don't see the gold or exploration or commodities world any different or any more riskier than I do the real estate. Yeah, I I would add to that. I think the risk profile of a, we'll call it a mining, the mining business, which we're not miners per se, we're asset managers, I suppose, more than anything. I think the risk, the risk perception of risk in West Africa is 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 not fair it's not it's not right because i go to west africa and i'm not going to lie i mean i i feel safer walking around there in 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 guinea than i do in london i feel more of a stranger in london but i spend a lot of time in guinea so that makes sense to me we have a big team there but the risk profile for me is less in guinea now than ever in history the new government is brilliant they're investing there's lots of money going in there but i look at the bigger picture adrian because someone asked me recently They said, you know, you're not worried about it being West Africa. I said, well, hang on a minute. It doesn't worry the Dubai government. It doesn't worry the Saudi government. It doesn't worry the Turkish government. It doesn't worry a thousand small investment firms because if the same risk applies to them and they say, you know, what about political risk and coups and all this? I said, well, hang on a minute. You can't have it every way. You can have a coup with a pen. It doesn't have to be with a gun. There's coups happening all over the world. It's just that we don't hear about it. But for some reason... Africa seems to be, it seems to get painted with the with, with that with that sort of almost like a stigma, if that makes sense, you know. And it's it's wrong. But risk for me is less in Guinea than it is anywhere else in the world right now, because I know where it's going into slower moving vehicle as well. Do you know what as well though? Just just using that example, Anglo Gold Ashanti have one of the biggest gold mines in the world, yeah. situated right there. Yeah. So it's it's well the next door to us they're our neighbor they literally are and it is it's it's that stigma that you have oh well something could go wrong something can go wrong anywhere but equally you're not saying that about anglo gold ashanti so why is it reflected on us as an operation that's exactly my point and their pound they've got billions in reserves there but the point is here the story we get fed is that you know the west africa is not is the wild west i wouldn't go over there you've been there many times i'd probably go as far as to say you enjoy it there Uh, i loved it yeah, I, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating did you feel a, at m- did, multiple levels. Did you feel at risk there? I didn't feel at risk, no. Uh, I, I, I wanted to ask, you know, you've been going there for 12, 11 years. You know, what is the key changes you've seen over that time? I think th- uh, it goes back to the, fir- the question, the prior question or the previous question. It's the removal of the risk and a, 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 a system now that is being married uh, or copied, almost copied off the Western system, if you like, you know, the way that the rest of us operate from banking, from compliance, regulation, mm-hmm. anti-money laundering, brilliant news for us because we know none, 80% of the other businesses there are not set up and do not tick them boxes. We do. So there's more and more opportunity coming in now and we predicted it four years ago. When I first met you, I made some outrageous predictions and I think you pretty much didn't agree with most of them. Banks are going under. 
this, that, that, that. Every one of my predictions when I met you has come true. Every one of them. Why? Not because I'm a genius, because I've seen it all before. This is my third time to this rodeo or this situation, if you like. But Guinea now has decided, and you can see seeing this a lot, this is not just um, um, exclusive to Guinea. You've seen it even, even in places in Dubai, which has been had a, almost that, that like had that negative stigma attached to it for many years. Also, has the new Marbella, if you like, for all the wrong reasons. We've sat with the Dubai government, who actually asked us to come and base our business there. By the way, because of our mineral portfolio, they're doing exactly the same. You know, they're, they're no different. They're, they've all got this new vision. But Guinea now, I've never seen a country change so fast. And you can spot it. And now I spot it from the working class level. Five years ago, you never saw a Range Rover or a Mercedes S-Class. Now you'll see one every day. But you see the little things. And people are going to watch this and think, what's he on about? But that's the way I gauge the growth. I do, I'm not interested in documents. It means nothing to me. Because when you see a document, Adrian, that's written by a man or a human. Okay, not against him. He's a very educated person, but doesn't that man's never? He it's physically impossible for that person to be right every time. So I look at the pieces and put the pieces together. It's a jigsaw. But when you see the food getting better, the hotels getting better run, brilliant Wi-Fi, the hotels that wasn't there three years ago. You see Mercedes, Range Rovers, the odd, you know, and this is progression. This is growth. So I'm thinking, hang on a minute, this place is moving. But if it's good for a thousand other companies, we're no more at risk than those thousand companies. And that includes some seriously wealthy governments, by the way, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and all the rest of it. Well, I want to thank you both. It's been a really fascinating conversation. I think we've covered a lot of ground and um, this is a very exciting journey. And I look forward to checking in whenever that may be in the not too distant future to see where we're at then. Dave Webster? Matty Bose, thank you very much. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Adrian.